So the problem right now is that preparing strong cross-examination questions allows you to tell a compelling story. And the important piece about that is it's all about persuasion. So if you can persuade people to believe in you, um, then you can win your case and by extension, um, be successful in your career, gain respect of your peers, and it provides a lot of intrinsic rewards. Okay, Janishika, welcome back to the podcast. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. Thank you for having me, Ravi. Yeah, so we were saying this is the second attempt at, uh, at recording this. First time I uh, ended up in a, in a failure. Mm-hmm. No fault of our own, but uh, Wi-Fi, you know. Um, I don't know about you, but I've been having huge Wi-Fi issues and connecting online. Like, everything no. seems super overloaded. How, about, how are you doing? Honestly, I have the router down here with me so that like that used to happen, but doesn't happen anymore. Yeah. But there's like six people in this house. So, you know, a lot of people using the Wi-Fi. So that's why I just went the additional step. Yeah, I got you. But it, it definitely makes a challenge for especially running remote town companies like, uh, you know, oh, like yeah. I live in a new area. Maybe that's the reason why. I don't know what's going on. But um, yeah, uh, jumping into that, Larry. I'm going to get yeah, you it. you got it. <laughs> a Larry, right? Okay. A Larry. We met on Clubhouse, right? Mm-hmm. And I remember for some reason, I know what you were saying was compelling. And I went and checked out your website mm-hmm. and your website just looks so clean and polished. And uh, me and Travis Rutnam from Knowledge Hook, uh, we were on the Clubhouse together. You came in and while mm-hmm. you were talking, you, we were in our, on our chat group, just talking back and forth. Like, yo, this looks like a really clean product, <laughs> right? And um, yeah. You know, I, I remember you telling me, you know, you're, you're fresh out of university and like you, you mm-hmm. jumped into your first startup and I'm like, it just hit me. Like it actually motivated me to go and improve our own website because, you know, we've been running for two years on like a yeah. ad hoc, like, you know, just a random setup. Um, I want to jump into that, that, that polishment and refinement that got you mm-hmm. there because um, there's a journey. You know, we started last year, last, uh, last time the first attempt to jump into it, but <laughs> I, let's, let's kick start and, and blow through it. Right. So yeah. How'd you meet your co-founder and how'd you... Uh, uh, start this problem. Yes. Yeah, so uh, my co-founder and I met in one of my last internships for school. So for school, we had to do five internships. So my final one, I worked at RBC um, and I worked in like a project management position. And on the team was a developer named David Paul. Um, so we got along really well. And one of the things that stood out to me about him was how entrepreneurial he was. So Mm -hmm. we quickly related on that base because we both knew we wanted to start something. Um, and then we tried different things, but then, um, you know, this specific problem came to us because his father is a lawyer and, um, he brought up the problem of how hard it is to prepare for cross-examination. And so, um, yeah, we just thought we'd give it a try on addressing the issue. And we figured we had like the perfect, um, like to start off, we had exactly what we need to cover. We had one developer, we had a subject matter expert, which was the attorney. And then we had me and I'm really good at communications and writing communications, Mm -hmm. oral too. So, um, we just figured, you know, we have a good match. Let's just kind of give this a go. Yeah. Okay. Like, so you guys just jump right in. So you finish your co-op at uh, RBC 
right? Mm-hmm. And um, you decided you, know, you saw this problem and you want to jump in. Uh, and the problem came, self, uh, came to you from uh, uh, a, senior, a senior lawyer, right? Yeah, yeah, which is interesting because usually people actively pursue like starting a company. But for me, it kind of the opportunity approached me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's a different, a different, unique sense. But same time, I think uh, what what you stumbled on is like a, a very cool kind of formula, right? Uh, a lot of times, like we, we know on the podcast, we actually uh, talk about this. Like usually, founders fall into, into a type of spectrum, right? Yeah. Well, on one side is like visionary led founders, right? You see this vision of what the world could be, and mm-hmm. it's like you're haunted by it. it, just drags you towards that, right? Yeah. And on the other side is like more, um, wow, I forgot the word even after two years of saying it um, the, on the other side of the spectrum is more like executive types, right? Where you're working in like a role or you're working in, you have some kind of professional training in somewhere uh, and you have deep knowledge in a field and you see a strategic gap, something that you can jump into and you systematically build for that. Your case is kind of unique where the problem kind of is given to you and yeah. you guys decided, Hey, we we'll form a company around this. Mm-hmm. Right. So let's, let's talk a bit more of the problem set, right? So you want to create this, create a collaborative environment for uh, the legal industry uh, mm-hmm. Can you walk us through the problems and uh, what were the solutions that, uh, there at the time and how is yours different? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so the problem right now is that preparing strong cross-examination questions allows you to tell a compelling story. And the important piece about that is it's all about persuasion. So if you can persuade people to believe in you, um, then you can win your case and by extension, um, be successful in your career, gain respect of your peers. And it provides a lot of intrinsic rewards, but ultimately your career depends on winning cases. Mm. Now, the problem right now is that there's no clear cut method to prepare questions. Um, And so lawyers, especially lawyers who are new to the game, they have to really forge their own method. Um, So they're reading really thick books. They're trying to observe members and their peer. At the same time, they struggle with the pressures of trying to appear competent um, when they don't know how to do this really complicated and abstract task. And I can't necessarily be open about that either. So um, what we created is a cloud notebook. It's kind of like one notebook and um, it has six different pages. Each page is a step to prepare cross-examination questions. So it provides a clear-cut step-by-step method. That's one aspect. The other aspect is that it brings together kind of the best of both worlds of um, cloud technology and litigation best practices. So before lawyers were either using pen and paper, um, physically printing out, you know, pictures of text or their evidence and trying to keep it together in a physical file, or they might use Microsoft Word, but they'd have to open up so many different windows and tabs, you feel like it's extremely overwhelming and hard to integrate into one another. So O'Leary allows you to um, upload and keep together an unlimited amount of files and essentially eliminates the need to use any other platform. So all you need to create cross-examination questions is this one software um, anywhere you have internet access. Yeah, I mean, um, we're comparing it to a, a Notion for lawyers, right? Notion yeah. being the, the, the startup. Uh, yeah, we, we use Notion in, uh, a lot. And it, it's, a, it's a, this great tool to create your own like internal wiki. You have all this information there. Uh, you can have all these links. You know, uh, you know, we can use that to organize how this, a company 
our information is structured, right? Like our knowledge base is structured. And yeah. um, it's a very different, it's very different from having a bunch of folders on like a cloud drive somewhere where you're clicking through and trying to look at things. This is a way of interlinking information. Um, mm-hmm. Let's talk about it from the legal industry, right? Like um, how do you do any field research? How do you figure out this was a uh, scalable solution? So um, what we basically did is we just talked to a bunch of lawyers. So a lot of networking on LinkedIn, Um, you know, people that we thought would be the cream of the crop, like people who would love our product. Um, And so we figured out we first determined a persona and then we went after those people on LinkedIn and we basically asked them if this was a problem that actually needs to be solved. And just talk to them like, okay, like what are your problems with cross-examination and just diving deeper and deeper and continuing to ask why. Um, And then from there, we kind of just, we had a beta in the making. So we would refine the beta and offer it for free and um, use that to kind of garner feedback. But um, it was surprising. A lot of people are really willing to just give free advice. Mm. Um, Yeah, you can definitely feed off those advice. Um, so let's talk about how the technology stack works, right? Uh, uh, your co-founder is the CTO. He operates uh, the, the actual technology. Uh, you do the marketing communications. Mm-hmm. Um, how did it go from, okay, here are problems uh, the lawyers have to here's a technology solution. Um, how'd you guys go? How'd you build that? Yeah, so um, it started off when I was in school. So first we kind of just drew it out on paper and we saw how that would look like. And then um, it was basically the trial, the process of trial and error. So we would just try a bunch of different reiterations. We must must have changed the actual app like 50 times. Um, and so really it's just like try things, reiterate, get feedback, try things again, reiterate, just continuously talking to people and then making sure that it it's meeting people's needs. Hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. So you, cool. So you had um, this iterative process of, of learning and, and developing the product. Uh, where are you at currently? In, in what sense? Uh, in product development, uh, you know, are you, are you completed uh, like a beta test? Are you at alpha? Are you, have you launched? Are you paid customers? Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, so we're not in beta anymore. We, we've launched and we have paid customers. So um, that's kind of where we're at right now. So we have like, um, we have like our product ready. Perfect. Okay. I keep having to move my mic because uh, my dog's barking upstairs. Oh, I that's your dog? <laughs> I, thought, I have a dog too. I thought that was my dog. <laughs> um, yeah, this mic is, is super powerful. It just picks it up. Yeah, I, I'm like in this shielded uh, studio downstairs, but like yeah. still noises get through. Um, yeah, so going, going to that, I know you, you have this product now. Um, you're, you're, you're talking about co- talking to customers. Mm-hmm. Um, how's it been? Like, you know, you, you work with a few incubators. Um, um, you went through a few incubator programs you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you list them off? Like, how was that process? Yeah, so um, right off the bat, we had support because we are part of two accelerator um, center startups, sorry, startup incubators. And mm-hmm. so um, there's one in Waterloo called the Accelerator Center. 
Um, yeah. We get a lot of mentorship from them. They have 12 mentors, so a lot of people to get feedback from. And then we're also part of DMZ's um, Legal Innovation Zone, so it's their legal branch. Yeah. And so they also provide support, too. They have something really cool called CEO Circle. So every two weeks, all of us get together, and they have keynote presentations, and it's basically um, a lunch and learn. So we have a lot of mentors, um, to ask advice from. And then early on, like right when we started, um, we also made sure to get advisors as well. So we have a few advisors from, um, other legal tech companies, like they've started their own legal tech companies as well. Or um, we also have one from a large firm in Toronto to help us out with like the legal stuff and to figure out um, the direction that we should go for um, just on the legal aspect, like what what lawyers are looking for. So we have a bunch of people to kind of um, be our soundboard and be our mentors. So it helps out a lot. Cool. Yeah. So, I mean, the, these mentorships that come out of these programs, um, they're really specific, right? So AC Center is great with especially the technology-led side and and, and get with communications, they get a lot of attention. Uh, DMZ, uh, sorry, not DMZ, the Legal Innovation Zone or Ryerson, uh, they're really specific. You know, they're the first like legal focus, yeah. like accelerator, I think, out there. And, uh, you know, through them, um, you know, there's a lot of like... Uh, legal firms, uh, you know, uh, a part of this, a part of their network. So it's a great place to grow. Uh, would you say like you would join more programs or would you like, uh, are you done taking programs? Like that's always a question for startups. Um, I think that we're done because the thing is, I mean, when you join another accelerator startup, it's, it's a commitment. And so mm -hmm. you have to, you can't just like passively be a part of it. You need or you should really be going to their events and talking to their mentors um, because it's a mutual relationship. And mm -hmm. one is I feel like we have like an ample amount of support and mentorship. And two, mm -hmm. I don't want to spread myself too thin. I think David and I are really busy as is. And so like, I don't want to join another accelerator startup and then not be present. Gotcha. Um, what about like something like Y Combinator who helps you raise oh. money? <laughs> yeah, well, I don't think we could turn down Y Combinator. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, so one of the things we were also talking about before was like, you know, how uh, information is easier to, uh, to, to move through, right? Toronto's tech scene has really boomed. And mm -hmm. like the companies coming out are, are booming with, with the scene, right? Um, mm -hmm. You know, you talk about the specific programs that are available now, the mentorship, the support. Um, are, are you raising capital? Are you trying to get more clients? Like, uh, what's the process there? Um, right now, our focus is to grow, although definitely our goal is to raise capital 100%. That's, we're absolutely interested in that. Definitely. Um, so speaking of that and, and moving forward, you know, before we, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, before we jumped on the podcast, you know, you mentioned something about pricing. That was really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, how you're currently like just adjusted your pricing. Yeah. Now, pricing is such an interesting thing for startups, right? Because especially when you're in your novel field or if, if you have uh, don't have competitors or if your competitors don't exactly do what you do, you don't really have a baseline for what you should price your product at. Mm -hmm. um, how, how have you been uh, previously been able to price your product and what are you thinking of now? Um, so previously it was around like $50 for the low plan USD. Is that for now, a whole firm? No. So it's per user per, per month. User. So mm -hmm. every user would be another fee. Um, mm -hmm. 
although we offer discounts if it's enterprise. But, um, and we also offer yearly discounts. So if they choose to buy it for the whole year, they save 20%. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, recently we increased our prices just because I think that pricing is also a psychological thing. One, $50 is extremely affordable for lawyers. And so we figured if we up the price, they could definitely still afford it. Um, and the other thing is, um, I don't think initially when it was only $50, people saw the value of it. Like it's a really valuable mm. tool. It's worth way more than $50. Um, and we threw in softwares that are like, for example, a timeline software. That's usually $50 on its own. And all it does mm. is create timelines. So mm -hmm. it's, it, it's super valuable. I think even right now it's underpriced, but um, we just increased it because um I think that it's a psychological element. If people see that it costs more, they'll kind of connect the dots and be like, oh, it must be worth more. Two, um, you know, it's good for business. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, you raise the price, you need less customers technically. Mm -hmm. And three, it's, I don't really, it's really, I don't think it's really stretching the lawyer's budget. It won't break their bank. So it just, it made sense to increase the price at this point. What has the feedback been from increasing prices? Um, Positive, so, like, you know, yeah. yeah, like nobody's really asked us for discounts or kind of said it's too much. Um, yeah, actually, like I, because it was so positive, we didn't really feel mm -hmm. the need to kind of go back. Yeah. So, um, so far it was good. Before, when we were still in the beta process, we used to ask like how much we think, how much lawyers think we should charge. Mm -hmm. And it was around the price that we're currently at. Um, so we figured, okay, this is like a fair bet. Cool. Um, so you raise these prices. You know, you you have you have a great model now. What's next? What's what's the new future? The new feature. What's what's the next? Uh, what's the near future? Is it just scaling? You're gonna focus oh, on growth and moving forward. Uh, new feature sets coming out. Hiring people. Yeah, so uh, we're just focused on growth. So we're definitely going to use um, more Facebook ads, more Google ads, basically just expand. Um, something we'll probably do more of is getting on the phone with clients and um, or prospective clients, just being super aggressive in sales. I think that before maybe we were being more passive, but now that I look at it, like I don't want to look back um, down the line and be like, oh, I could have tried harder and I just didn't because I was nervous to go on the phone. And, and so I, I feel like now I'm definitely doing the more aggressive sales approach. Um, I think in this phase, it's going to be like 80% outbound, 20% inbound. And then as we grow, that will change. But what I see O'Leary kind of becoming is um, definitely growing. I think that in the future, it can even be an educational tool, something that is used in law school to teach students. Um, I think that there's opportunities for us to start our own legal tech events to kind of become like Clio and not just become a product, but a community. Um, I really want to see us partner with associations like law bar associations. Um, and I see, I see us really expanding into the States. I just feel like they have a different culture with technology. Um, they're a lot more open to new tech and it just makes sense to kind of go over there. But, um, yeah, right now it's just aggressive growth. Cool. Um, 
Yeah, going to uh, talk, talking about growth and going across nations, right? Like, what is that? Um, is there any, in the legal industry any any um, data protections we need to worry about? Um, in in healthcare, there's a particular uh, law called HEPA and PHEPA between between Canada and the U.S. Mm-hmm. Uh, luckily, it's very similar, so it's easy for uh, tech companies across borders. Um, how does it look like in the legal field um, for American tech American legal companies? Do you need to have like Go ahead. No, no, sorry. You go ahead. Yeah. I mean, do you need to have any special, like, uh, any server set up in the States? Like, is there any, spe- any, 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 uh, um, like, um, uh, any holes you got to jump over? Um, yeah. So I think there has to be servers set up in certain locations. So mm-hmm. our CTO, like David Paul, he has that set up. So that's correct. Honestly, I'm not the best person to speak about that, but I definitely know that, um, your servers have to be located in a specific area. Yeah, so this is something I, I learned pretty recently as well, right? Like about how going across nations has, has changed uh, due to uh, data privacy laws. Uh, GDPR kind of kicked it off in, in, in Europe. But now, like if you're a are, are, are company or a startup and you need to operate in different localities, it's the bar has actually gone up in difficulty, right? Because you have to make sure you're complying to local data protections. Um, yeah, uh, there was this company uh, we were working with uh, out of Italy, and they wanted to come to North America. And mm-hmm. for them to come to Canada and the United States, they had to create uh, five different um, like uh, subsidiaries, each one, uh, you know, uh, and in different regions in North America, and each one ha- maintaining a separate uh, service supply for that region. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, oh, my God, like, you know, like that's a lot of work to do right? Yeah. to enter a new region. Um, so, you know, uh, who's been like, you know, do you have a particular advisor uh, on your board now uh, advising you or is it mostly these mentors from uh, uh, accelerators? Like how are you navigating the data side and the technology side? Um, the data side. So David mm-hmm. Paul, he's completely in charge of it. He's really knowledgeable about this area. Like gotcha. Honestly, it's not my area of expertise, but he's super smart. Like he's very, very knowledgeable about these things. And then also, yeah, we have a, like a couple of lawyers on the team, too, to make sure oh, we're not course. doing anything illegal and um both the accelerators actually no one of the accelerator centers the waterloo one provides us a legal team too so we Mm. can always bounce off them if we just to make sure to make sure everything's compliant but yeah definitely like there are data compliance things that we have to watch out for especially for enterprise sales they're actually difficult because they have even more um Mm. so yeah Definitely, we have to, you know, keep our eyes peeled for that. But we have lots of people to help out with that, too. Cool. Let's talk about your development during all this process, right? Like, generally, um, you know, uh, uh, one of my favorite quotes is by uh, Satish Bala, who came on the uh, podcast a few times. He, he, you know, he meant he made this post about how startups uh, are like, especially or any kind of small business, any kind of business, launching a business, being a founder, it's like a, it's a personal growth and engine disguised mm-hmm. as like a business, right? Where like you go through a lot of development. Personally, mm-hmm. you learn new skills, it force you to learn new things, go past your comfort zone, all that. Yeah. How's your journey been being a founder? Um, yeah, I think that for me, it's been a really interesting experience, um, especially because I think something that made this really possible for me was actually the pandemic. Being mm-hmm. Um, after I graduated, um, you know, like my parents expected me to go the traditional route and get a nine to five, but actually because of the pandemic, they were like, okay, like try this out, see what happens. Um, and so I tried it and to be honest, I thought it would be a lot more glamorous than it actually was Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because right now, like being an entrepreneur, it's so glamorized, right? 
But yeah. in reality, I'm like, you know, talking to people, doing sales on the phone, um, doing aggressive like LinkedIn kind of outbound, a lot of like things that are not fun. Mm. And so um, I think that what I've learned most is like perseverance. Mm -hmm. And recently I had an epiphany and it was really just about like, if you want to do anything in life, like any kind of goal, um, the biggest thing you have to get over is the fear of failure. So you have to be okay with failing. And so um, I, I realized that like a lot of people, um, I think what gets in their way is they're just so afraid of failing. And mm -hmm. so I, I'm trying to reprogram my mind to try and like, almost enjoy when people say no to me. I don't know mm. that, that sounds weird, but I try yeah. to like, okay, be like, okay, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Cause that's one more person down until I get to someone who's going to say yes to me. Um, and I, I just try not to be afraid of failing. I'm like, okay, like if this goes best, like even this podcast, the first time that we did it, cause it's the second time I was nervous. I was really nervous going into it. Um, and then I just thought like, you know what? So what if it like, turns to shit like what's what's the worst that's going to happen right and it's just like um I guess reprogramming your mind to not care because I think that we have like as humans we have this enormous potential um and usually we only tap into a fraction of it and um I don't want to wake up someday and be like oh I never I never realized my dreams because I was scared so mm. right now I'm really trying to reprogram my brain to be like don't be afraid of failing and that's kind of like my my mantra <laughs> that I say every day internally no that's that's really good that's really fantastic actually that kind of mentality right like um, you know that you know you're absolutely right. Like um, uh, being a founder is like overly dramatized now. It's like it's a cultural mm -hmm. uh, cultural thing. Somebody once said um, <clears throat> that like entrepreneurship is like uh, a to mo like modern day hippie culture. It's like just like yeah. hippies with a counterculture back then. It was cool to like go against everything out against the curve. Uh, entrepreneurship is now like the counterculture. It's like the cool new thing. Everybody mm -hmm. wants to say founder in their bio. Everyone wants to be like, oh, I'm working on this, 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 this. Yeah. Um, and, 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 and I think that it really helps you a lot because more people understand uh, that you're doing this. Um, how's, how's it been from like your network, like from your friends, uh, from family, uh, colleagues? Like, are they saying like, oh, like you should be working somewhere else or like, are they supporting you? Do you see this as, a, as like, like a project that's like, it's cute that you're doing this good job, but like, when is life <laughs> going to start? You know, like yeah. there's, there, there's a lot of feedback that, uh, uh, that the, the community around founders give that kind of get in your oh, head. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. How's, how do you deal with that? How do you navigate through that? Okay. So initially I had a lot of pushback. I don't think anyone, not a single person encouraged me to do this. Um, and so, except for, you know, my co-founders. And so initially, um, I was like kind of put off, but I realized like, especially with family, you know, you have mm -hmm. to show and not tell. And so, um, I think I just, like, yeah, I, I did go against it, you know, even though they're mm -hmm. like, oh, you know, stability and pay off your OSAP loan and, you know, like buy a house and do all the things that we're told to do. Like mm -hmm. all of that is kind of you're being risky. Right. Mm -hmm. And so um, I don't know. I just learned to tune it out. Like I'm pretty good at tuning, tuning things out. And um, I learned to just like 
I know internally that this is what I want to do and I know that I'll be successful at it. And so it's just about like having the confidence in yourself and being able to tune out other people. And um, yeah, I just kind of honestly, not right now it's different because we made progress. Um, We're Mm. making money. Um, We've grown our team. And so I've, we've gotten a little bit of funding and so it's easier. And actually right now, like I do have a lot of support. I've the complete support of my family, which is really nice. But um, I think initially you just really have to believe in yourself and not get triggered. Yeah. I mean, personal faith uh, is definitely goes a long way. Uh, and, uh, and, and that ability, what you're talking about, you know, the ability to uh, go against naysayers. Um, this one of my earlier guests during COVID was actually the host of a podcast called um, Screw the Naysayers. Mm-hmm. And this idea That's in entrepreneurship, yeah, the, <laughs> the, the idea in entrepreneurship is it's pretty founded in this, right? The idea that you got to be able to like shield yourself from all yeah. the negativity that can come into it because, you know, the journey is up and down. Right. Not only mm-hmm. is you have your people around you looking at you for personal growth, you have people who work with you, your colleagues looking at you know you for strength, uh, but also like you know things go up, like you know client signs, and then they say, hey, you know this is not a time for now. Like there's like up and yeah. down journeys that you, you go through, and the, it's a, it's it's really an emotional journey, and it's very taxing. Mm-hmm. Right now, you know there's a lot of burnout. Burnout, like entre- entrepreneurial burnout, is very different from uh, like other burnouts because it's very emotionally driven. Right, because yeah. people, there's so much like emotions, deep emotions behind it. So, how do you deal with uh, burnout, and how do you deal with uh, keeping your mind clear? Honestly, I like that's a good question because burnout is something you almost feel daily. Like even earlier today, I was like, "Oh God, I have no energy," and I'm trying all these things. Like I sleep for eight hours. I cut out mm. coffee, so I only drink tea. I know tea is caffeinated too, but I'm trying to intake my or increase my water intake. Um, I don't know. That's a good question because the thing is like, you're right. It's so up and down. Like you can feel really, really motivated. Um, and then other days you can feel really shitty and just, you know, like, I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, there have been times where I'm like, oh, is this, is this working? Like a lot of self doubt and like, you know, you risk a lot. Um, but I mean, how I get through it, I feel like for me, um, I just think like, okay, well, if there is ever a time period in my life where I wanted to be risky and entrepreneurial, it's right now. Like I'm in my twenties. Mm-hmm. I don't mm-hmm. have any commitments. I'm not married. I don't have children. Um, I, I live at home. I don't have to pay rent. Like it's actually a really great time for me to try out something like this. So, um, I don't know. I just kind of keep my head up and you just have to realize when you're feeling bad, it's just like temporary and um you have to try and not get into the negative mindset because as soon as you do it's a spiral so um something that I learned from Jay Shetty was um when you're feeling like badly about yourself try to shift to gratitude because when you're holding a thought of gratitude it's impossible to be holding another thought of something else and so like Mm. um just trying to focus on gratitude and getting through that moment without like spiraling into it Mm -hmm. uh it's it's amazing like how much uh, conversation about entrepreneurship has shifted towards this kind of thinking about managing burnout and managing and mindset and things like that because 
it's uh, like you know if you look at all the uh, all the best leaders like uh, from from Steve Jobs, Tim Cook to uh, Jeff Bezos, all of them like have the similar quotes where they're talked about the, the secret secret to success is persistence. Like you stay mm-hmm. in the game long enough, right? Just like getting through the hurdles, eating, taking the hits, and, and and moving forward. And part of that is just developing strength and, and that ability to think long term, right? You to have be long term. Yeah, you have to. Honestly, it's it's 100% mind over matter because the way you view your life is is your life. So you have Mm -hmm. to just like, you have to rewire your your brain. Mm. Um, For for me, like I I get a lot of that content from um, Gary Vee. You know, he talks about positive light, you know, gratitude, Mm -hmm. you know, is is a key to everything. Be happy, uh, be kind, right? Like, um, because it it, it feeds into this, right? Like one of the things, uh, you know, you got to love about the internet is that it, it shoot away the, the ability to screw people over, you know, like everybody comes with almost mean? kind of like, like everyone kind of has like a reputation to maintain, right? Like if, if oh, someone yeah, has done yeah. something negative, you can review, leave a bad review in their business. Uh, you can mm-hmm. write a, like write a personal review or Mark Potter on LinkedIn or on, uh, on Instagram. Like there are, there are ways to check, to like check and balances built based on reputation. Right. Yeah. And yeah. Because everyone's connected. So now it's like, you know, people are more trying to be more genuine with each other through the internet, mm-hmm. you know, like, even though like there's a lot of toxic negativity, I found like founder culture, like if you reach out to mentors, you, if you reach out to other people and you talk to them, people are so willing to transact, especially during COVID right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I find that too. Absolutely. People, people in general, like I feel like initially I used to be afraid of asking for help or, you know, just networking, but I feel like a mm-hmm. lot of people in general, it's human tendency, I guess, to want to help people. So, um, yeah, I definitely find that in founder culture for sure. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you um, listen to Gary V. I love Gary V. Gary Vee's the yeah. reason we're doing this right now. <laughs> <laughs> what what Gary, kind of... Uh, oh, sorry, go you, on. Um, I was like, uh, Gary V um, yelled at me like, on my Instagram feed for about one and a half <laughs> years. You know, every time, every time you, every time oh. you see Gary Vee, he's always yelling, right? Like that's one of his main things, especially back in 2017 to 2019, he was yelling at the camera. Yeah. That was one of his things. And you scroll through Instagram and suddenly his voice, his face is there yelling. He's like, are you making content? How much content are you making per day? <laughs> right. It's like right now it's a content game. Like he's yelling at people to get him yeah, content, right. yeah. especially back then. And I was an avid fan of like Joe Rogan. And mm, between the two, mm-hmm. I'm like, I love listening to this content. You know, this, this medium of podcasting is coming up. This guy's yelling at me, make content because it's a way to yeah. like get people to uh, uh, to know you. So, I, so I, it's what motivated you to get to this. And and that's that's one of the interesting things is that, you know, my knowledge, the way I acquire knowledge, has shifted completely in the last five years. I, I mm-hmm. stopped books completely. I don't read anything. I don't read blogs. Oh really? Everything is audio. Everything is podcast now. I oh. I listen to about six hours of content per day now, because wow. I can multitask. Yeah. If I'm doing something or if I, you know, if I'm, if I'm working, I'm always listening to something on the side and I've trained yeah. myself to multitask uh, and, and listen. And it's become such an effective way for uh, at least me, like my co-founder, Henry, he can't, he's got to read, right. To like, <laughs> to, to find information. He can't, yeah. you know, he can't do the audio format, but because I've uh, got that, I've developed that ability. I find that mm-hmm. nowadays, like it's so much easier to uh, obtain information. Right. So, yeah, I, like I'm seeing this rise of like the, 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 the audio platforms. Right. Like, yeah. you're literally like, you know, when you when you make these uh, make this kind of content, people listen to it with headphones on and you're inside yeah. their heads talking about yeah. ideas and talking about listen. knowledge and things like that. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you're inside their heads. Yeah. No, literally. Right. Yeah, yeah, you are. Yeah. But and, then don't you find it hard to retain the information? Like, do you take notes while you listen to podcasts or anything? 
so here's my biggest fallacy is that I hate, I'm not good at facts, figures, and numbers. Like, I'm not, I don't memorize things, right? Uh-huh. What I'm looking at is for is concepts, um, uh, strategies, like ide- yeah. core ideas, right? So for instance, uh, yesterday I listened to a podcast and it was a, a guy who uh, came from Twitter, came on from Twitter talking mm-hmm. about Twitter spaces and like how Twitter's new products can be launched in. And they were talking about how the, the creator economy, Twitter has about a like hundred million like hardcore fans who use Twitter. But a lot of them mm-hmm. are moving to like platforms like uh, Substack because they can get literally people can pay them to be part of their to, 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 to teach. Right. The creator economy is, oh, okay. is coming. Right. What's Substack? Uh, a Substack is like a, is like a newsletter platform that's really becoming oh, okay, more okay. popular. It's becoming more popular. So it's allowing journalists instead of working at CNN, I can go open my own Substack, create my own newsletter, and you mm-hmm. can pay me monthly, and I'll just you you get you hear from me now. So instead of you buying from a newspaper, you can buy from your favorite author. Oh, so that's in journalism, cool. yeah, it's really shifting how journalism works, right? Yeah. So yeah. there are all these things like Gumroad, all these community community platforms that are coming up now. That are feeding off of these big, huge platforms. So like the 2010s, like the mm-hmm. huge social media platforms came. Now the 2030s, we're moving to creator platforms where in the 2010s, like Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, they made money off of you making posts. You made nothing. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. The creator economy was was uh, was uh, was a net zero because the platforms made all the money. Right. Now it's yeah. about, hey, if I'm going to have ideas and tweet this, if I'm going to take an Instagram and like uh, and post this. You know, if I'm going to, uh, you know, uh, you know, go in Clubhouse and say this, how can I monetize? Right. Oh, yeah. So the rise, yeah. so the rise of like, the creator economy. Right. I, that's something I'm really interested in. So I go on podcasts and listen to how people, different people see the, how the creator economy is coming to be. What are their ideas mm-hmm. from it? Gary Vee is a different concept. Uh, the Pivot podcast that I was listening to that had a different concept. Right. A16Z has like, a very technical concept. So I'm trying to research around these core themes from different perspectives so I'm yeah. not really looking for like facts and figures to utilize, you know, that would always be a Google uh, search away, but I was looking yeah. for ideas. Like, what are people talking about? Like what's coming up next? You know, what are yeah. the shifts happening? Right. How are people t- uh, dealing with this? And all that stuff is available. So that's what I'm really interested in, in, in what we're doing right now. Right. Like there's yeah. somebody out there that's going to like come onto this and be like, I need to know how she built this law legal platform, you know, <laughs> and, 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 and uh, they're looking for like information. There's going to be another, like mm-hmm. there's going to be a founder somewhere that's going to be working on this. They'll come across, uh, you know, the working on legal tech, but might come across mm-hmm. this, listen to this and be like, wow, like I like how she did it, uh, 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 dealt with this, you know, get to feel some sympathy off you and maybe reach out. Right. So, mm-hmm. um, we've had that happen a few times in the podcast, like by, by recording ourselves and like putting our story out there, it's like yeah. you're creating an asset that can like, you know, uh, attract things your way. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think it's really cool. You do like the fact that you've made, I think you said I was the 138th episode. That's yeah. insane. Like, you have put in so much time into the studio just talking to a bunch of different people and you must have learned so much. Like I can't even imagine all of the stories and things you've learned just from talking to people and also building that muscle of just, you know, creating so many podcasts. Yeah. I mean, you hit all the value props right there, right? I get increase my skill set of talking to people, build that, that muscle. You know, I'm, I'm a salesperson, but you know, talking to people, it takes energy, you know, like, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's an the energy that I need. So you need to like to work out and build it up. That's there. But two, like, you know, the amount of stuff I've learned personally, right. Just from talking to people, being able to bring someone on your podcast and just like ask them any questions you want is yeah. so fulfilling. Right. Because yeah. I'm just, I'm just a curious dude. Like, 
you know, I'm, it's not like I, I know everything. I'd rather than I, I, I just want to know random things, right? Yeah. So yeah. that's what really been fueling this. But honestly, like, I, and I talk about this on Clubhouse a lot. It's like uh, I grew up not being able to talk properly. You know, like talk speech mean? was re- speech was really hard for me, right? Oh, like did you have like, like a stutter for- or like? No, no, just forming concepts. Like I, I like oh. you know that like I used, like thought too hard and like I couldn't verbalize ideas. Right. Oh, like okay. I couldn't, yeah. I, I couldn't, you know what I mean? Like it, it was, it took me a while, like to learn how to do complex thoughts and speeches, like doing speech competitions, like in high school, yeah. doing pitch competitions in university that, that made me like feel better. Then I got into sales, you know, doing door to door sales, doing, uh, doing like phone sales, talking to people, talking to people, it became like a muscle that I, I just kept working on. Right. And this is full so, circle. I have a question for you. So now when you do mm-hmm. sales, like, you know, calling people, how do you feel? Like, do you not mind it at all? Do you hate any process of it? Or do you just like, it's just like second nature? I hate it. My, my first pitch at anything. Right. Mm-hmm. I never want my, uh, my, uh, if I'm pitching anything, I never want it to be my first pitch. Right. Yeah. Like the, the actual target that you want, you want it to be your 10th or your 20th pitch. Oh yeah. Right. Yeah. So oftentimes, uh, whenever I'm launching something new or trying to pitch something new, I, I, I purposely go after people I don't care about. Like I don't want to cl- actually close so we can get the practice oh, really? out of the way. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's smart. That's smart. Yeah. Cause like, I think about it, like, like if you, when you really care about something and you're trying, you're trying to like make, make a close, like, what if you suck? Like <laughs> what if you forget, you know, the, some key things, right? Like, uh, one of the things I loved about uh, door to door sales, uh, and even like, uh, like, um, uh, what's it working at like a, uh, um, call center is that the rapid amount of people you talk to, right. Yeah. The rapid learning curve, people keep calling in or you're talking on doors and keep talking to people. You get to practice something over and over again. Right. Mm-hmm. And by the time you get to like the 20th, 50th pitch, it becomes automated. So it's like, yeah. you're not thinking about what you're pitching or, or selling. You're just kind of going at it. And like yeah. mentally you're like above that watching and looking at their reactions, what they think, what, you know, you're more strategic. So it's like yeah. the, the words kind of flow out of you. The presentation continues. Right. Yeah. But like you're strategically thinking now instead of worrying about if I sound stupid or if I forgot something or what's next or yeah. like, you know what I mean? So yeah, like, kind of I, like on autopilot. Exactly. So yeah. uh, for me, I'm like, if I'm trying to pitch something or build something, I, I need something that I can pitch rapidly to learn and then have mm-hmm. something to pitch for. Right. And one of the biggest problems with that is B2B or enterprise sales. Cause mm-hmm. when you have these big sales that you're in front of, that's very little room to practice. Yeah. You really have to just give it your best shot every time. <laughs> uh, how so, about you? How's, how, go ahead. I was going to ask you, so I'm uh, curious to know, are you introverted or extroverted or where are you on the spectrum? Cause you I'm said like you get tired. Yeah. 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 So, uh, I'm an introvert that looks for social, uh, social settings, which, you know, mm-hmm. it's, I'm looking for punishment. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like, I see it as, as like, uh, you know, like I, I get like pissed off when I'm bad at something mm-hmm. and that anger really drives me, you know? Mm-hmm. So, uh, like, you know, like that, that's one of my motivations for doing things often is that I yeah. realize I'm bad at this and I hate, I hate myself for it. And I just drive myself <laughs> to get better. All right. Uh, so it's like a, it's like a personal really thing, Vendetta. Like my, yeah. my, my, some of my close friends, they, they hate this character of me because like people who meet, uh, you know, get, get really close, think that I'm competing, mm-hmm. competing with them. 
because someone will hit like a milestone. If I'm if I'm doing sales or you know in a team culture and someone hit you know it hits like a certain milestone, I'm like shit. How am I getting there? How am I keeping up? Right. Yeah, and yeah, it's not yeah. like oh I need to be better than. It's more like oh man, it's a reflection on myself. What am I doing? Like you know how come yeah. I'm not doing this? Right. Like mm-hmm. how can I be better? Right. And then I, I, I that self like you no know, challenge challenges me and uh, I love that energy. Right. That competitive mm-hmm. energy when you compete with yourself. You're just competing for growth, right? You win no matter what. Yeah. So um, yeah. I like that kind of mindset. How about you? Like, how do you see sales? Like, you know, uh, how'd you get into it? Because it's a, it's a skill to kind of develop. Yeah. So initially I got into it just by necessity. I mean, we needed customers. And so <laughs> I felt like, you know, I, I just had to go out there and talk to people. We're doing LinkedIn, mm-hmm. but it's slower to do things over email. And it's just so much easier when you're talking to people face to face. So... Yeah. Um, I think I waited a few months. I was scared. I was really scared to do it, um, especially because lawyers, they're, they're really busy people and they have high eagles. So not exactly the easiest market to start doing cold call pitches to. But um, yeah, I mean, I think I, I told you this in our last podcast. I think I did 1400 calls. And then um, just just like what you're saying, like initially, I was really, really scared. And then um, I got into it and it just become second nature. And I watched a bunch of YouTube videos on it, too. And that's how I uh, came up with the thought of like, kind of it sounds weird, but like smiling even when you get rejected or like enjoying it, even mm-hmm. though you don't really like just kind of almost feeling happy about it and just like rewiring like um I know if you've ever heard this but like um I learned this in school and it was like when you're nervous to do something but then you kind of tell yourself I'm really excited it Mm -hmm. makes it so much easier to do it so I just told myself like yeah I'm really excited to do this and then eventually I did become excited it did become more normal and it became a lot easier um honestly it's just like you just get experience and then it becomes so much easier yeah absolutely uh i mean it was one of my motivations of this like the the first uh few a few times to record on the podcast i almost threw up like i was like oh, freaking really? out yeah I, it was also the first time i had three 4k cameras like this one with a physical set like pointed at mm-hmm. me right mm-hmm. and then we also the reason we have these lights is to make it even more intense <laughs> this this the, yeah. the, the, the 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 stage uh, but I quickly realized, you know, we, after like my fifth, tenth episodes, I'm like, I now have 10 hours of experience. Most people come on this show is their first time. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So mm-hmm. I have to take on a direction of like leading them through it, prepping them through it. And all, all, all and then it's this natural coaching side. And now that you're doing that, it's just like it feels like, oh, this is your show. You know, you yeah. take more ownership over it. Um, and so that there's, a, there's an element of mastery that comes with repetition, right? repetition, right? Um, there's mm-hmm. a book literally called Mastery that uh, one of my sales managers handed to me, handed to me um, you know, at one of my most high performance sales jobs. Yeah. And it's by somebody green, uh, the author. Anyway, it talks about like how to develop mastery and skills. Right. Mm-hmm. There's a principle of like 10,000 hours principle. If you if you do 10,000 hours or, oh, uh, yeah, uh, uh, and gain like a particular and a particular skill set, you gain like this mastery level. Where you just like you operate at a different frequency. And I thought about this. Right. Like, what do I want to obtain mastery on? Right. Because it's an investment. Right. Like yeah. uh, to hit 10,000 hours, that's almost like 10 years, almost a decade worth of work. Right. Unless yes. like you're putting like a lot of lot of time into it. Right. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, what do I want to invest a decade into? And I'm like, it has to be people, you know, uh, mm-hmm. like for me, it was people because it was the hardest thing for me. 
yeah. right? Communication was hard and that pissed me off. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to take this weakness and make it into something I'm masterful at. So let's do Punish this. Punish yourself. Punish it, right? <laughs> uh, right. And uh, yeah, yeah. so here we are, right? Episode, uh, I think this is more 139, but um, mm-hmm. the goal now, uh, my personal goal is to build, make a hundred, oh, sorry, a thousand episodes in yeah. a thousand days. So in about, in about two and a, uh, 2.9 years, I want to be able to do about a thousand episodes. The first more benchmark actually when I started this was to do a hundred episodes. Mm-hmm. Right. And now it's to do a thousand. And really it's like, okay, think about how much learning that's going to come out of that. Think about how much information is going to come out of that. Think how much content is yeah. going to come out of that. Yeah. There's so much interactions out of that goal, but same time, it's like, I'm closer to that, you know, that mastery goal, right. Where I'm, uh, yeah. where I can, you know, do this on the fly and get better and better. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's currently what I'm working on. So are you going to, uh, turn the podcast into different pieces of con- like, you know, how Gary V, like he turns like pillar content into different forms of content. Have you thought about doing that? So, uh, my real plan is to turn this more into an, um, a, like almost like a, like a, a some kind of portal, like a, I, I want, I want to create like a, what we're doing right now is uh, creating a podcast network. So we're mm-hmm. actually creating a multi-podcast network. So we're partnering up with other podcasters. Uh, mm-hmm. We're working with a few corporate partners that uh, we are creating corporate partner uh, a podcast for, all within the innovation industry. And now okay. we're going from one channel to 10 channels to 20 channels. Yeah, uh, wow. And then we're taking all that and we're creating a content hub where things lies. And soon we, what we're doing is we're using a few um, like existing like open source uh, programs, um, you know, from Amazon, from uh, AW, uh, from AWS, from um, um, Microsoft. And what it's doing is we're dissecting the voice data. We're breaking mm-hmm. the da- data down into transcripts, but and then tying those transcripts to per- particular, uh, particular events. And then we're trying to script it out. So eventually down the line, I want to be like, I want to learn about blockchain, right? Yeah. But what's happening in blockchain in like Latin America? And the system would go out and figure out, you know, find all these snippets of when blockchain are talked about, figure out, you know, where the concepts and stitch together like a timeline for you of like what's That's happening amazing. and what, what people are talking about. You know, what what's a current updated, uh, you know, lens of blockchain and stuff like that. Right. So for me, I'm like what I'm naturally doing with podcasts, listen to multiple podcasts around a certain like framework to understand something. I'm like, how can we make that more active? Rather than me going and searching and listening to many things for like that snippet of information, how can I search for that? Right? How can I? How can we make innovation searchable? So those concepts, those ideas, uh, I can actively just get tuned to it, right? That's really cool. That's like um, that's like an audio Wikipedia type of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we call that's it. That's actually uh, really cool. Yeah, yeah. So we, we were looking at Shazam, like a Shazam for innovation kind of thing, or like you yeah. know, but. Uh, yeah, like almost like an audio Wikipedia kind of thing. So we're not sure how that framework's going to look like. We're we're partnering with a few AI companies. Uh, you know, we're focused on getting the getting the uh, the media, and then the, our partners are going to take care of you know what they can you know what we can build with this media, right? And yeah. uh, there's a lot becoming possible. What I'm what I'm so uh, thrown about is like how much free um, code there is that you can mm-hmm. play around with. And there's a lot of like uh, tools that are just built off of free codes, right? Like, um, you know, there's a no code and low code revolution happening right now where you can just like interact with code and just like the tools just will build it for you. Uh, have you ever experimented with anything like this? Low code, no code, like any of those kind of no, platforms? No, honestly, no, my, I haven't. It's not really my uh, background. I wish yeah, I so, did. Honestly, I should learn more into it. But yeah. What about you? Yeah. Yeah, so we are addicted to it, right? So there's two that we uh, that we love. One is Airtable. Uh, Airtable is a low code uh, like app builder. Like you, it's like Excel on steroids or like Google Sheets on steroids. You can program mm-hmm. things into it. Um, you can automate things right off off of it, right? 
Um, and the second one is Bubble, which is like a, a, a no-code app builder. So you can just drag and drop and make things, and, it'll, and, and you can make like an app, or you can make a website. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that stuff, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a pretty cool skill set to now uh, to now look into, right? It's like, how can you use platforms that make code for you to build things? That's um, really interesting. So what have mm-hmm. you? What are you looking at building? Or is that for the podcast network or is that for something else? Yeah, I, I mean, we've been using it internally for like its processes. So things mm-hmm. like, um, you know, scheduling this, these automations that run. So mm-hmm. every, uh, the form you filled out uh, that, you know, automates, uh, automatically uh, sends you a, a Google uh, calendar invite. All the information is there, but also it goes into our uh, into our uh, community portal. So we can, you know, track when the episode is, when it's going to air. So then our editor knows, okay, this is when this episode is going to be, uh, be made. It needs to be released by this. So he can mm-hmm. take that. And then, you know, the same link will be sent to you, the same link will be sent to me from a recording. Then uh, the editor will have also the, the link uh, to extract all the information. Like all our backend processes are becoming automated away. Mm-hmm. Right. And we don't need to run. We don't we haven't done a single piece of code. All we're doing is telling this platform, do this wow. and this, you know, do this and this. And slowly we're like making our process run just automated. Just run on the That's fly. That's incredible. Right? Yeah. Right. So it's like a really cool skill set. Like, OK, all these tools are out there. How can you combine these SaaS tools, integrations and and uh, automation to make things just run by itself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, kind of like what you're doing for the legal industry. Right. Like I yeah. think like, the next the next iteration on top of this is building some automation tools on top of this. Right. So, yeah. 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 Well, the thing is, it's interesting because some people like some lawyers think that we automate the process and I guess that's good and that's bad because it's also like an art, like cross-examination is an art. So people think mm. like, oh, it's a bad thing if it's automated because I don't get to use some people really enjoy the process of building questions and they don't want a yeah. robot to do it for them. On the other hand, it would be really cool if it could actually like kind of come up with suggestions. So yeah, it's interesting. We've definitely like heard people ask us before, like, Oh, can this, is this automated? Yeah. I mean, um, you also mentioned that you, um, part of the tool, uh, tool set is like you provide like templates and playbooks, right? So it's for mm-hmm. new lawyers on how to operate. That's a very, uh, that's a very valuable case right there. Right. Do you see that involving more into like a content library of like, Hey, this is how you can use this to do this. Or, uh, or do you see it more like, um, you know, like something that more deployable where it's like, you know, the plug and play option just allows you to do this. Like I see it becoming a content library. Because um, right now, for example, we have a lot of blogs on our site saying, okay, this is how you deal with a witness if they're a police officer. This is how you deal with a witness if they're a child. Um, There's specific patterns that you can pull out from different types of cases that that you can reuse and recycle. Now, imagine if you had a database of that, those patterns that new lawyers can look at. It's a complete game changer. Um, So I see us, 100% in the future, having um, kind of a database for um, if it's a DUI case, then click on this template and it'll be more curated for you because DUI cases are similar or they're more similar than um, a different criminal, like a sexual offense criminal crime. And so 100%, I think that that's uh, definitely in the future for O'Leary is to become more of a database because our goal is to amalgamate or bring together litigation best practices. And that would be a a portion of that. 
That's awesome. Um, I, I like that direction and, you know, that analytics kind of aspect of it. I can definitely see the value set in that. Cool. Janishka, I mean, this has been great. Um, it's the first time, like I said, us having to redo an episode. Thank you for the patience. Thank you for coming back on. Uh, really enjoyed you, uh, you know, sharing your journey. Um, thanks for your time. Thanks for having me, Ravi. No, honestly, I, I love being on here. Uh, you're a super nice guy. You know, um, you are definitely an expert, have tons of knowledge. It was my pleasure joining the podcast. So thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Appreciate it. Uh, stick around. We'll do a quick, quick debrief. Uh, but for everyone who joined us, uh, thanks for listening.